What's up, everybody? This is Cortland from NDHackers.com, and you're listening to the Indie Hackers podcast. On this show, I talk to the founders of profitable internet businesses, and I try to get a sense of what it's like to be in their shoes. How do they get to where they are today? How do they make decisions, both at their companies and in their personal lives? And what exactly makes their businesses tick? And the goal here, as always, is so that the rest of us can learn from their examples and go on to build our own profitable internet businesses. Today, I'm talking to Dmitry Dragulev. Dmitry, welcome to the show. Thanks. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Good to have you. You are the founder of JustReachOut.io. It's a company that you run together with your wife and co-founder, Corey. And together, the two of you have bootstrapped it to over $30,000 a month in revenue, while also only working about 25 hours a week. So you start work at 9 a.m. and you're done by 2 p.m. only on weekdays. Tell me about that schedule. How do you make that work? So, I mean, I, for the last five years, I've been kind of pushing on this whole thing of like, um, you know, you only live your life once and you can spend your long your, your hours uh, every day to push yourself to do the best you can. Right. But essentially it comes down to like my grandfather died a couple of years ago and I asked him, you know, what, what do you remember from your life? What do you what, what comes to mind, you know? And, you know, years before his death, you know, he just kept going back to all the times you spent with your family, your loved ones. And it wasn't your career. And I mean, he hasn't had anything ridiculous, like he had no crazy acquisitions or whatever, but he hasn't, he had a decent career. He grew up in Soviet Union. He was an engineer and, and you know, like he's, he's done well for himself, but it wasn't anything ins- insane. And, um, as I was coming, kind of coming up, I was trying to figure out, like, what do I want to do with life? Like, I have this online business. I can just go balls to the wall. You know, I can raise funding. I can just be that guy that's always on working, talk, chat with people. How many times do you work a week? And I estimate 60 hours a week. Somebody's 50 hours a week. Oh, I put in 70 hours a week. What are you talking about? You know? And I'm like, do I want to be that guy and, you know, have, you know, 1 million MRR or maybe 600,000 MRR, I don't know, uh, whatever it is. Or do I want to focus on spending time with my kids who are three and five now? And then when they don't want to spend time with me when they're in their teenage years, maybe I do more work. Maybe I start working crazy hours to scale businesses. And now I just need a nice cushy business. After the acquisition, uh, my pre- previous company, I was like, you know, I, I walked away from the acquisition. I didn't get the paycheck. Um, uh, but I decided I'm going to build a business that's, it's good. It, it, that gives me cash to live on that I can survive on, but I'm not gonna, uh, you know, trade this time in my life, in my thirties for um, some big exit in 10 years or 15 years. It's just a conscious decision, right? I want to remember this decade in my life, primarily with the time with my family and friends, family, friends, my kids, and being the dad that is on equal, equal parenting schedule with my wife. And so just made it a conscious effort to build the business around it and really you guess nobody really needs that much time to do the work they do. It's people spend a ton of time procrastinating. And so time boxing my stuff, myself into it has helped a lot. And it's just the reality. Like I can't, after 2 PM, I pick up my kids 
I'm not the guy that's going to go out and work somewhere from a cafe. Like, I'm just not going to do it. You know, I'm just going <laughs> to be with the kids. So I know at 2 p.m. that's over. So after this, uh, this uh, podcast recording, pretty much it's going to be it. I'm going to go and pick up my daughter and it's freezing outside. So we're going to come back home and <laughs> try and figure something out. <laughs> yeah, that's a principled approach. And I think. You know, you're really prioritizing creating memories that you're going to cherish. I think memories are underrated. Like you don't remember work. I've had uh, years where I really enjoyed working and I worked a ton, but like, what do I remember from those years? It's definitely not the time I was sitting at my computer writing code. You know, maybe you remember some of the accomplishments and the milestones, but like the actual work you're putting in is kind of just a means to an end and you end up forgetting about it. Yeah. I mean, like some people reminisce, like, remember when we were just five people and we were (laughs) doing this, right? And then remember when we were 10 people and look at us now, a thousand people now, big corporation. But the reality is I've studied like all these CEOs, super successful companies. In that uh, book, um, Clayton Christensen wrote uh, Innovator's Dilemma. He also wrote a book called How Will You Measure Your Life? And uh, this guy, Clayton Christensen, goes to all the most successful CEOs, like, you know, like McKinsey, you know, all these major, major success. And they were part of his Harvard class. And he's like, horrible, horrible family lives, right? They're on their third wife. They have seven houses. Their kids don't talk to them. Just horrible personal relationships with their family and their loved ones or friends but they're the most successful people in the business world. And I started noticing that trend uh, last 10 years or so. I've been like just consciously looking at people that are portrayed as successes, right? The tech crunch, uh, you know, like unicorns, all these people that are high up that were like, oh, I want to be like him. Just really poor family life, uh, more very poor relationships with, with their kids. Uh, a lot of dads that are like, trying to figure things out when the kids are a little older, just really, you know, not taking care of themselves properly. They might be like exercising, but not really, you know, eating right or exercising right all the time. I was like, just got to really attack this as a job really. And, uh, prioritize things differently. A lot of businesses have something that makes them intrinsically difficult to run on a tightly defined schedule where they can just stop working at 2 p.m. You know, they might be getting urgent customer support requests and they might have servers that go down in the middle of the night or security issues that require taking care of and stuff like that. I wonder if that's the opposite case with your business, with Just Reach Out. Uh, how are you able to stop work at 2 p.m. every day? Do you have any urgent crisis type situations that you have to take care of or is it just smooth sailing work stops at 2 p.m. and you're, you're not worried? No, no, I'm not like immune to any of that, right? It's a SaaS platform that goes down. Uh, we get DDoS attacks. We get tons of customers who are just, you know, we, we help people do PR. So somebody signs up and they're like, oh, I did a search for Utah texting and I can't find a lot of journalists. So your platform doesn't look like it's really good. And they do three searches. They, they write a bunch of angry emails. They leave. Um, I have people who sign up and, and then they say it's not working at all. It's not the search is broken or whatever. And it's, I mean, it hurts to lose customers. It also hurts when your site is attacked. Uh, we've been hacked. We had the, our Stripe account, which is our payment processor, 
hacked by people that changed the bank account inside the Stripe uh, so that the, the money was going to some other bank. And yeah, we had our bank compromised too by bank account. Like people made cards, just like all sorts of crazy stuff, like operationally that will shut down the business, shut down money, uh, which keeps the business alive. Our personal bank account has been compromised too. <laughs> but um, yeah, I view it as, again, I think it's just mindset. A lot of it comes down to mindset. Mindset has been, since I started working with Dan Martell, I'm part of his mastermind, his SaaS Academy. I think that was the biggest thing that he's taught me. Like he's got so much other stuff that he teaches, but mindset, like the way you think about stuff really determines like your mood, what you do, everything else. And in my case, like there's priorities, right? Like there's family life and then there's business life. Yeah, I'm worried like if something bad happens with it, but I don't have like my phone is this crappy iPhone 5S doesn't even keep charge anymore. Like I have to charge it every four hours or so. I can't do email on it. There's no email on it. There's no Twitter. There's nothing on it. There's just like maps on it and it kind of sucks, but I don't spend any time on my phone. So I don't connect with my phone. And it's been like six years now. Um, so when I shut down that laptop, unless I have to go into my office and do it, I'm not going to like use it to fix it. And, that, and anything can wait for a day. Like really, if you think about it, it could wait for a day usually. I mean, I'm in the PR business. So a lot of times like a pitch has to go in or out or things have to be done a certain way at a certain time. It just wasn't meant to be. I don't know. I just think of it differently. And a lot of people disagree. They're like, Dimitri, you're not a real founder. You're not a real, um, you're not a real entrepreneur. You know, if you think that way, you know, work has to be first. You have to push yourself to get stuff done and fight through. And I'm like, I don't think so. You know, but I've been doing really well just with this business. Right. Um, and I have, um, you know, I have my course that I do really well with. I do consulting as well, but I've built a very comfortable life for myself just doing this. And in fact, I can probably work less and just keep up this, this lifestyle. People like the narrative of, of them struggling against these insurmountable odds of them suffering. Like there's no grad student you will talk to who won't tell you that grad school is the hardest, most miserable thing ever. And there are very few founders you'll talk to who won't tell you that, you know, being a founder is just the most terrible, lonely, hard thing ever because it makes it more meaningful. But, you know, at the same time, I talk to people like you who are just cruising <laughs> and you're enjoying your life and, and setting your priorities very deliberately. And yet you're still a founder. I mean, you can't take away that title from you just because. Yeah, I founded it. I mean, we're not going from 1K to 100K in six months. We don't have insane growth plans. You know, we want to grow. 10% month over month, but you know, we don't, we don't have any investors pushing us in that way. And I don't care about it as much as I probably should compared to my kids and my family. I really like spending time with them. I feel like a lot of founders actually don't want to spend time with their family. And that's why they escape into their work uh, because spending time with their family is boring they might need to work more at it. They don't have enough skill sets, uh, primarily men who are guys who have families that have toddlers that need to be occupied with different activities. Um, it's a much more thought provoking 
endeavor maybe to build a business, right? Uh, versus spending time with your toddler, right? Maybe, you know, if that's your case, then by all means, I mean, do that. I don't, I'm not here to tell people to just spend more time with your kids or loved ones or whatever. I'm just, that's what I do. And I, I find, I don't know, it's very liberating and peaceful. So tell us about your business. It's called Just Reach Out. You mentioned that it's a PR business. How does it work? Yeah, it's a software platform that helps you pitch journalists without the PR firms. So it helps you get featured in press, pitch journalists all on your own. So if it, it's meant for uh, indie hacker type of folks, like people who are one-person team, two-person team, three-person teams that want to be featured in press and can't afford a PR firm, but can afford 400 bucks a month to figure it out, or even 200 bucks a month. That's what usually costs. And um, yeah, it's a software platform that searches different asks that journalists have. So specifically, like, I don't know, if you're an e-commerce business, you know, there's tons of journalists every day that need to speak to an e-commerce business. So they're like, listen, I need to speak to an e-commerce business. You search that, you find them, you start talking to them uh, because they already have an ask. You can just answer it. But we also help you find podcasts we can f- help you f- that that are looking for a guest we can help you find journalists specifically who are covering your topic uh we can find you can help help you find different links that are broken and different publications on your domain of expertise so there's different uh tools in there we help you holistically as well we guide you through the process we give you an action plan we tell you what to do when to do it there's a whole bunch of academy and lessons and stuff that guides you through a week by week plan. Our team kind of supports you as you do the PR outreach. Uh, it's meant to just disrupt this PR industry altogether and help in, indie hackers get press, get featured in press. PR is something that curiously rarely gets mentioned on this podcast. I talk to a lot of people who are indie hackers who mention search engine optimization and they talk about submitting their apps to sites like Product Hunt and Hacker News. And they talk about cold emailing customers, but they very rarely talk about pitching press. Why do you think PR is something that indie hackers don't do very much of and should they be doing more? Well, I think when we think of a PR, I think everybody thinks of a PR kind of in the wrong way, right? So like if you're an indie hacker, you got a cool app or something, right? the first thing you're going to do is just put it up on Reddit or something and just get some users to use it. That's all you really want. The trouble with that is that the traffic stops. And so you got to keep doing it. So you might go to the startup digest newsletter, or you might, you know, like try and get on this podcast or like try and like kind of keep it going. It's a lot of work to keep doing that. Right. And that's the level where a typical indie hacker mindset is at. And then you have, other people who have a little bit more money, so they're like, I got to find a PR consultant, PR guru who can just get me into Forbes, right? Or maybe I can go into like somewhere else. The trouble is that like Forbes or, or Reddit or Startup Digest, maybe like a tiny sliver of those people who actually see your message are the right customers for your app. And like 99.9% of those people are probably not the right ones. So you'll spend tons of time trying to secure all these placements and then you'll only convert like tiny, tiny percentage of those. And while you can put those logos and even if you get into like TechCrunch or whatever, you put those logos on your site, 
you'll still convert very tiny percentage of those places and you won't get customers that are repeat customers. And so PR firms typically feed on this and they keep saying, well, keep paying us money. We'll keep doing this for you, right? You can kind of yourself say, well, maybe I can just keep doing Reddit. Maybe I can hire some kind of like Fiverr or somebody to kind of just do this for me. The trouble is that it's not consistent traffic. And so what I like to teach people to do, and that's what a lot of our customers have done, like Pipedrive, HubSpot, a lot of the bigger companies who use our platform or who I've consulted, they marry SEO and NPR. So essentially, when you do your PR activities, you're not promoting the product that you're building, the app. That's not what you wanted to promote. You want to promote the content that you create. And it's one piece of content. That's all. Just one piece of content. You're not doing two, three, five. You have one piece of content on your blog that you want to promote. And that's going to be the main piece of content. And you'll be doing PR around it. And the way you come up with that content takes a little bit of time and effort. And our software guides you through it. We have like a whole wizard in there that helps you create the like the link baby type of content and stuff. But um, it's a process. But I'd say when you think of PR, think of a long-term approach that consistently gives you traffic from Google or some other way. So um, it doesn't have to be that you rank number one for that term. It could be that every single result that's ranking for your term has you as number one, right? So like the best photography CRM software, if you see that there's seven articles there, it's very hard for you to outrank those seven articles, right? But you can try and negotiate with them to try and put yourself into each and one of those articles. And now without lifting a finger, you know, you did lift one finger maybe, but you, you just inserted yourself into the top seven places on Google for the top CRM photography software, just by you know negotiating with them. You can say, listen, I'll help you rank, I'll link to you, I'll promote you, add me in there. So thinking about PR in that sense, where it's like consistent traffic flowing to you and very specific traffic that will convert is usually the best way to think about PR. So I think just indie hackers think about it wrong. Like they think, oh, I just got to keep doing this TechCrunch or Reddit thing or I don't know, like just doesn't use that white combinator thing or whatever. It just doesn't really work all the the best way, you know, like the ROI is in there. So I'm trying to wrap my mind around how all of this works. Let's say I wanted to do PR for indie hackers, which I don't do and never really have done. And I wanted to use just reach out. What would that process look like? Like where would I start and where would I end up? So the first thing I'd say is you'd use our tool called Press Opportunities. And that's tool that, that's a tool that kind of finds journalist asks. So it's like essentially you're going to put in entrepreneur into that topic. And we're going to show you all these journalists like Forbes or Wall Street Journal or wherever they are at. There could be some smaller blogs, um, but it's information week and it's like, we're looking for entrepreneurs to contribute to our article for, you know, 2020 trends in investing, whatever. If you qualify, please respond. So you'll respond to those and you'll start getting some people saying, oh, this is great. You know, Coraline, I'd, I'd love for to have you um, on, you know, I'd love to kind of get a quote from you. So you'll get a few quotes here and there. Um, and then you, you're going to start thinking, all right, well, I'm getting some quotes here. I'm getting a little bit of traffic, but what is it that I really have that is going to just push the, you know, be amazing 
And what am I amazing at that is going to just stir things up on the web, right? So it could be a study, piece of data, insights that you might publish. It might be some type of like surveying of all, all the people you've interviewed and figuring out kind of the main failures of um, indie hackers and kind of what they need to overcome them. Whatever it may be, it could be some type of study. And that study usually looks like, you know, some type of a page on your site. So I'm like, I'm looking at one right now before this call, uh, they're a customer of ours. Uh, they're a law firm, right? Very boring industry. But what they did is they did a study of states with strictest texting while driving laws. So essentially they, they rated all the states in U.S. by the, how strict they are in terms of fining texting while driving. Right. And so now they're pitching every single state, local news, Oregon, Utah, Illinois, Wisconsin, saying like, Oregon, you're the strictest one because you're a thousand dollars per fine. Utah, you're you made it into our study. And so they're getting coverage in all these like local states. That's just an example of a piece of data that's interesting to lots of different publications. But essentially what you'll be using is you'll be using our action builder and our strategy builder to help you figure out what your story will be and our team before you start reaching out. And then you're going to start testing things. You're not going to run the study. You're going to test things. So you might come up with like the biggest failures of entrepreneurs uh, that are bootstrapping, bootstrapping entrepreneurs. And you're going to come up with say three. You're not actually going to run the study or anything. You just come up with this idea. And you're going to use our engine to find journalists who are covering this topic. And you're going to pitch it to them and say, Here's, I have this data and the study that I've done. Are you all interested in seeing more of it? Once you get people responding to that, then you start running your study. If you don't get anybody responding to it at all, then you switch up your pitch. Then you switch it to the next one. Next one for you might be, oh, you know, I had the founder of GMAS on my podcast and he shared this in insane insight about how the Google OAuth process works and you expose this Google's Gmail API issue, maybe that'll be an angle. So you take that and you Google, you put into our term, you know, in, into search terms and just reach out Gmail API and you find everybody who's covering Gmail API and you say, Hey, um, start pitching them. Hey, I, I saw you covered Gmail API. I just interviewed the a develop a, a GMAS founder who's working with Gmail API and they have a big issue with it. Um, so you're always looking at the intersection between what you got, what you have that's amazing and what are people covering, right? So our engine kind of helps you discover. We have this discovery engine that helps you discover those journalists on different topics, but it's your job to figure out what that topic might be. And this is where we, our wizard, our software kind of works with you. And we also work with you over email or calls to try and like point you in the right direction. I love stuff like this because yeah. a lot of people won't do things that they want to do just because it seems too hard. Like they won't take a step if they don't know what the first step is because it's, it's just complex in their minds. They're going to have to do a bunch of work. They're going to have to read a bunch of articles, read a bunch of books just to figure out what the first step is. And so if you can create some software that makes something complex easier or more approachable, that really teaches people how to do something, then you end up inspiring people to do a thing that a lot of people wouldn't do previous. Like, for example, I will consider doing PR because of Just Reach Out, whereas beforehand, uh, it just wasn't on my list of things to spend time investigating. How did you come up with the idea to build software that would do this? 
Well, it's just a problem. Like it's always an issue for everybody. Like yourself right now, we're talking about this, right? Like anybody who's listening to this right now, I mean, if you happen to listen to this point in the interview, you're probably like, well, I kind of have this thing. Like I want to get publicity for myself, right? And I kind of don't have money to like, I don't have $10,000 a month to pay a retainer to a PR firm, right? Or 7,000 a month. Like it seems crazy to me, right? As a bootstrapping entrepreneur, even if I have money, right? It's, it's a lot of money. And so, um, I'd say this was the main kind of drive for it. Cause I kept consulting people with this, right? I kept like doing this for people, right? And I was like, I, I can only consult so many people. So I created a course called PR that converts and I launched it to my list and I made a lot of money with it, like more than I ever thought I could make. And I thought, wow, like if I can make money selling a course to my blog readers, maybe I should build a tool to help them actually execute what I'm telling them to do because a course just tells you what to do. It doesn't actually follow through and make sure that you execute. You just, you're selling videos, right? And a Slack channel. So I had some software engineering expertise. So I started building it myself. And, um, just this need to really help people. And, you know, the first version was just, um, on paper. I just drew it out on paper and I started convincing people to be, pay me a little bit of money to develop it. And, um, I gave, I asked for feedback. That was the biggest thing that I've done. That was probably <laughs> the biggest push for myself, right? I asked for feedback. People gave me feedback. I incorporated that feedback into the sketch, gave it back to them. And did that over and over again to rope them in as my customers. That was my my main way to get my first customers in the door before I started building it. Then once I had my five people that were in it, they were like, yes, I'll give you 10 bucks to build it. Then I was like, okay, I got five customers, give me 10 bucks and tons of feedback on this thing. I'm going to actually try and build something. But, you know, by the time I launched it, it wasn't even working that well. And I charged $99 a month. So it was kind of like a steep... <laughs> price point for something that wasn't working. It was just a search engine on, on, on Twitter. So you could have just searched Twitter yourself uh, <laughs> <laughs> and pitched those people over Twitter. But I was like, mine's going to be different. It's going to be awesome. It's going to have all these features. How uh, different was your initial mock-up and sketch you were showing these people that they were committing to pay for versus what you actually ended up launching that was just this Twitter search engine? It was kind of different. I mean, I... You know, like I had some product expertise because I worked at a design firm, but I'm not a product guy. Like I'm, I'm a PR, like communications, SEO guy, right? I, I write really well. Like that's my strong suits. I know from right now of these things, SEO, PR. Product is something that I know a bit about. Like I've built, helped build products all, always from a marketing standpoint, but user experience is something I was trained in a little bit, right? And so market research, customer development, figuring out product market fit, pricing were all completely new to me. And I was by myself. So I had to really figure that out. I'd say drastically different. I mean, we went, we decided to do a Twitter search engine, which we don't even do Twitter anymore. We thought that people would just tweet at journalists and we went the completely other route. We ended up building a 
an engine that scans journalists' asks, so meaning like helper reporter out, journal request, profnet, source bottle, tons of these different newsletters. And that was the initial version, really, because we found that people didn't know what to tweet at journalists when you just give them lists of journalists, right? And these are people that needed to be trained. So the only way to train them to learn how to do PR outreach or, or talk to journalists was to show them asks from journalists daily. And if you see asks from journalists, you get to the point where you're like, okay, I kind of get the idea here of the things they ask about. They ask about 2020 trends. They asked about expert opinion on marketing. They asked about, you know, biggest frauds of the year, the, you know, data points, things that are more interesting to the general audience and not, I'd like to see the best app that can do CRM for photographers, right? Like, or something like that. So people get trained to what to pitch. So that was the original version. And then we started adding lots of different features. I think that's super smart. And a lot of people who are listening don't know about these newsletters that you mentioned. So can you explain, for example, what is, what is Help a Reporter Out? Help a Reporter Out, uh, launched by Peter Shankman, um, acquired by Cision. It's a newsletter. It's a free newsletter. comes out daily. Journalists put in their asks, and it gets sent out to everybody who's on the newsletter. It's really big, you know, t- tons of people on the newsletter, and it's very simple. Like the idea, you just you 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 opt in, you you um, check box what your expertise are, and you get these asks from journalists. There's tons of them in there, uh, so it's very hard to search through it. But you can essentially just look through all the queries per day, and you might get seven of these emails a day, and there might be a hundred in there per per day or some. I don't know. It's it's pretty insane. The amount of um, asks some of these journalists submit. Um, and it's just one newsletter, right? There's also Spot a Guest. That's a podcast one where podcast hosts need a, somebody to interview specifically. Like I need an e-commerce entrepreneur with 100K MRR or something like that. So it's like uh, very specific. Then, you know, there's tons of, there's a hashtag called journal request on Twitter. It's only dedicated to this. So it's like if a journalist needs somebody to talk to, that's what they uh, use, a hashtag with their question. So there's so many of these. So um, I we, we index all of them, let you search it by keyword so you don't have to subscribe to all of them and go through the details. That's pretty cool. And you mentioned that you're not a product guy. You're not the one coding all this stuff. You're more of a PR person or an SEO expert and a writer and a marketer. How do you, as somebody who's not technical, get a product like this built? I can search through all these different newsletters, and how long did it take you to do that? It took forever, man. A good friend of mine at the time when I was starting to think about developing this was between jobs. So it's funny, like my wife and I crashed NodeConf in Ireland in this castle. They had NodeConf, and in the, in the, they always have it in this, like, crazy castle on an island, right? Like 2014, like I was not, like I haven't been coding since 2007, seven years behind. Like I didn't really code much. I needed a technical guy to build my initial sketch. And I was sitting around with a friend of mine who actually said like, you should come and just crash it with me. Like he was a developer 
uh, we didn't know what we were doing, but we we're just like, sure, we'll go for a ride. Like we'll just go to Ireland, hang out. So we crashed the conference. We showed up uh, without tickets and we just let in and we're hanging out with our friend and we met this other guy who's, it was his friend. And we were like, they were like, what are you doing here? We're like, we're actually like marketing people thinking about building this, this software company. And we don't, we kind of want to find like engineers maybe to work with. And we just, uh, we're fresh off. Like I was fresh off that acquisition by Google, which I walked away from. So it wasn't like a very sexy story. It was like, Dimitri helped build from zero to 40 million page views, got acquired by Google. But Dimitri didn't join Google, didn't get any money and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what does Dimitri thinking? Like, what are you doing with your life? Like, are you insane? <laughs> so uh, we kind of like that last part, we kind of kept it on the download, like talking to people because uh, you don't know the people. And so um, anyway, we met like some some engineers. And anyway, my friend and his friend were like, we'll help you out, right? And so we created this like Google Doc with um, like 30, 30, 30 split. And they're going to, we're all going to just be founders, right? And that just went like horribly wrong. Like basically one of the guys didn't do any work. The other guy did work and was pissed at the guy who wasn't doing any work, uh, the engineer, and wanted to get him out of the 30-30 split on this Google Doc. And it wasn't even a project, like we weren't earning any money or anything, but it just got into this like weird fight over equity. And I was like, guys, it's a stupid Google Doc. Like we don't even have a product. Like what are you fighting about? We just need to like build the MVP. So eventually the other guy left and we wrote this Google Doc and there was just a lot of drama. And meanwhile, this guy was like, you know what? Startups are not really for me. I want to like a real job. So he went and before the crypto craze joined um, one of the exchanges, the crypto exchanges. And um, so once he got a full-time job, I like I hardly got any help from him. And I was like, dude, like I can't keep building. I was trying to hire like people from like Ukraine, Pakistan. It was just not working out. I was like, I need developers and I need them. I need to have some help. And then, so eventually he left. I hired some part-time developers, contractors. Then I started charging a bunch of money. People prepaid for it or paid for it and it wasn't working. So I used that money to try and hire some more developers. It was just like a crazy journey, dude. But uh, eventually I I found developers that I can trust. And for the last three years or so, three plus years now, we've had knock on wood, good, good developers, uh, helping, uh, helping out, but it was, and the product stuff I've been leading and I, I've been, you know, I've messed it up so many times, uh, just building stuff that customers request. And I, I don't know, like I, I was like, Oh, a bunch of people requested this thing. I think it will be useful. Let's just build it. And I'd hired again in design firms from Belarus to design stuff for me. And, launch it and yeah read a lot of books um kind of learn things on the fly i have advisors now that guide me on stuff and we have a process on deciding which features to add and a roadmap so were you working your 25 hour work week even in the early days or is that more of a recent development no i think this has been like last three years or so no two no maybe two years more like i think the first year 2014 to 2015, I was still more like 40 hours. 
2016, I was, that's when my second was born, was born. And that's where I started, um, April. So like after April, like May, June, 2016. So I started, you know, yeah, started doing the 25 hour thing more or less pushing towards it. Like it didn't just happen overnight. First it was like 30 hours, maybe 35 hours. And the 25 hours sometimes is 30, but usually it's more like 25. How expensive was it to work with all these different developers and these agencies and design shops uh, in the early days when Just Reach Out wasn't really making very much money? Oh, well, at first, my first few developers were, I just gave them equity. I was like, I'll just give you, and I didn't know how to do that properly either. So I was like a third of the company, a quarter of the company. Um, they were like, all right, whatever. It doesn't matter, right? But it starts mattering once you start making money. And um, later on, we pretty much, I mean, I didn't do a salary or anything for myself. So I just took all the money that we ever earned and just paid them. So I would... The game would be like, I'll try and pre-sell basically like an airline ticket, pre-sell a bunch of future development for the features and say, listen, pay now and you'll be able to use it for X amount of months uh, down the road. And I'll bake my services into it. That's what I used to do for like forever now is just I'll bake PR services into it. I'll help you do PR. And so they'll pay money. I'll do PR for them. I'll take that money and I'll fund development. That has been, you know, like a game I've been playing for a little while just to keep things afloat. And, you know, um, I think we became a pure SaaS company, I think, early this year. Like, um, I mean, up until early this year, we haven't been a true pure SaaS company. There have always had components of services baked into it. Um, and we started, you know, transitioning to pure, pure SaaS this early this year. I like that strategy so much because when you're providing a service, if you're an expert at PR or SEO or marketing or something and people just pay you for your service, you get a lot of money up front. Like you don't need to spend six months coding something in order to sell a service. You can sell it immediately and then do what you did and use that to fund development and design and other sorts of work. Whereas if you just have a pure SaaS play and you're charging, even if you're charging a couple hundred dollars a month, it can take many years to build up to the point where you can afford a salary for yourself, where you can afford to pay any employees or contractors. And so I like that you you sort of bootstrapped yourself by not saying that you're going to be limited to pure SaaS and that you actually started with a course and then services and then eventually became a SaaS business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people should use services. I know there's a lot of people saying it's not a good way to start a SaaS company, you, know, you got services in there, it's too muddy, you can't get services out of it usually. I think it's a great way to start because you can supplement your development and just earn money, right? And then get it to a point where you think you're ready and then launch your pure SaaS. And meanwhile, you've built a company, you know, and service offering might change, pricing might change, some customers might leave perceived value might change or whatever, but it, it's still the same company. So I can say Just Reach Out has been around for five years. Like, you know, we've been doing services for a good portion of that, but we've been building a software product for all five years. So, it, and it's it's gotten backlinks and publicity and people come to the site for five years, right? And PR has been associated with it for five years. So it's a good way to do it. And I think if you're listening to this, 
think about it, you know. So let's talk numbers for a second. In 2015, you made $15,000 in revenue. And in 2016, you made $70,000 in revenue from Just Reach Out. And in 2017, you had a huge jump up to $300,000 in revenue. What happened in 2017 that helped your revenue jump so much? We started, uh, we did something kind of crazy. We did the, the AppSumo. AppSumo is a newsletter that um, goes out to people seeking deals. It's kind of like Groupon for apps, created by Noah Kagan. And, you know, it's basically a million plus people on the email list who are used to buying stuff cheap. And they'll just buy anything because it's a great deal. It was not, I mean, we made a lot of money that year and it was not for us, for this business, but it was not the most money, uh, but it was not the right kind of customers. A lot of those customers I ended up paying to get rid of. Um, I actually paid them to leave my platform. It did put us on the map. So it did help there. Like after that, we just started getting a lot more real companies contacting us, right? Just a lot of people heard of, or of us after that. But the types of people who signed on that deal, I'd say more than half of them, maybe even three quarters of them were just not a fit for us. And I've heard that feedback from many people. I feel like AppSumo is usually is a, it, this newsletter. It's good for like selling courses, maybe assets like PDFs, things like that, where mm-hmm. you're not using a tool for anything, right? Because these people are not very sophisticated. They don't have anything interesting to say a lot of times. And for them to do PR or use a tool, it's it's a big ask, you know. And it's really geared towards like lifetime deals for free kind of thing. But it didn't help us kind of put us on the map. But yeah, that, that was the big push. And then we, I started doing a lot more SEO. I started like hitting these keywords like PR outreach. I was ranking number one or you know, PR, different type of PR, like media pitch, you know, cold email, those kinds of keywords. Um, and that started driving new leads that were good leads, you know. Have you ever used any PR techniques to grow your own business? Just reach out. I was, no, I actually have been. I've helped a lot of other PR companies do the <laughs> same. Presley, their customer ours, just a lot of different PR firms, PR companies that are good that, you know, what they do, they just don't do it well for themselves. I've used the same technique for us for all most of these years. Like that year I started pushing hard on it, but um, my technique is very specific. It's like find a keyword, like PR outreach. I want to be number one, write the baddest piece of content there is um, that kills pretty much all my competition. And then all my PR is geared towards promoting that piece of content. So I'm trying to get guest posts there. I'm trying to get a podcast interview here. And so all these interviews, all these posts out there talking about me or what I do, always link back to that one piece of content, PR outreach, how to do PR outreach or media pitch or PR hacks. And those are like, that's my approach. And so I get to rank number one for marketing communication strategy. I'm ranked number one for media relations strategy right now. And so once I get there, that's it. I do another keyword and another keyword, but it's very simple. Keyword research, creating the content on my blog, and then reaching out to all these people to try and cover me to get links to that piece of content. That's how I've done pretty much all my PR and I've used Just Reach Out for it because I use it to 
find people to pitch to be on their show or find people to pitch to write for them or something like that. So for people who aren't familiar with SEO and how it works, if you have a piece of content and a lot of reputable sources link to it, Google treats that content as more important. So it'll show up higher in the search rankings. And so by doing PR and driving it all to these articles that you're writing, you're essentially telling Google, hey, this is a really important article and it helps you get to number one. Um, how much of your strategy is because you want to be number one on Google and how much of it is because you want just the direct traffic that comes from having these news organizations and press organizations write about you? I want to be number one on Google. That's the priority of the whole thing. Um, it's changed a lot. SEO has changed so much. So these days, the quantity of links doesn't necessarily correlate to rankings anymore. Um, the types of links don't, doesn't even help as much. Uh, these days, it's more like clickability on these links. So if those links are actually getting clicks, then they value and they actually push your rankings up. And it's really just uh, overall uh, traffic and engagement on that piece of content. So is it being shared uh, directly off off uh, offline? Is it being sent, you know, um, meant like in email, for example, or chat? Or is it uh, that's time on site on that piece of content really high? All these different metrics are like dominating the, the ranking behavior these days. But yeah, I mean, I'd say for me, number one is just ranking on Google. I don't really care about the little bursts of traffic I get if I get mentioned somewhere. It's really making sure that, you know, I have some of these links pointing and these links are getting clicks. And I don't focus on the links as much as um, people focus. Like you talk to any SEO person, they're like, oh, link building, we got to build links. I don't focus on links as much, you know. I usually focus on the quality of the content I focus on like sharing the content properly, promoting it, that type of thing. And then links as a secondary type of effort. What if I'm an indie hacker who's trying to figure out if PR is right for me? You mentioned that you know you did this AppSumo deal and you got a ton of customers. And that's how you're able to make $300,000 in 2017. But a lot of them you know, weren't particularly right for you. Their companies didn't need to be doing PR. PR is something you should only be doing if you're trying to win the SEO game or are there other reasons to do it. No, I think PR, you don't need to go into SEO. Like SEO is complex. Like anybody listening to this, like it's just a lot of work and you, this is not where you want to start. I think what you should start with is figuring out who are your customer and where are they hanging out? Like what podcasts are they listening to? Is it offline? Is it a meetup? Maybe it's a blog. Maybe it's some kind of forum, a Slack channel. Maybe there's like a very popular Slack community. Like, online geniuses, or I don't know, maybe India, wherever they're, they're, they're hanging out, right? And then how do you target that audience? Like, how do you go after them, right? And that's where um, your PR starts from, right? And then you, you basically don't go lights over Broadway PR. Lights over Broadway is I want to be in Wall Street Journal. Don't start there. Start with where are my customers hanging out? And then how can I get in front of them? Should I do a guest post? Should I do an interview? Should I offer a webinar? Should I do something to try and get those customers to see my message uh, for that publication? Because that publication, that blog, that community, that podcast already has your audience. You just need to figure out the ones that have like 80% of your audience. 80% of their listeners are your target market. And then you go after them, right? So, and you build relationships with them and, and you do PR to promote yourself. And then 
when you see those little blur- bursts of traffic and they actually convert, then you're like, okay, I think I've got something here. I can continue doing that, but I can also marry that with my SEO stuff. Maybe I can work on my SEO game and keep doing this thing. Um, so take it in stages, you know, try and find a podcast that has a thousand listeners um, a month or maybe 500 listeners a month. Um, that is in your industry, in your domain of expertise and try to get yourself on there and see if, you know, you get five new email subscribers after that podcast goes live, right? That could be a little game, like a little step in the right direction for in the PR world, right? And then get somebody who has 2000 listeners a month and, you know, maybe you'll get 10 new email subscribers on your website. So one step at a time that way to kind of, get going. But yeah, that's where I would start. PR would help with anything. It's just um, targeting the right people, right? PR can be joint ventures with, with a blog or something. That could also be PR. So don't think of PR as like featured on CNN or Wall Street Journal. It's like getting on Indie Hackers podcast, you know, this could be your PR uh, initiative or something like that. Yeah, there's a lot of advice to start small with the scope of your product, but also it makes sense to do what you're saying and start small with your promotional efforts and your PR and your outreach. You mentioned that the first step is to basically figure out where your audience lives, figure out where they hang out and congregate online. How did you do that with Just Reach Out and how can other founders do the same thing for their businesses? Just, I mean, like I start my PR with interviewing my customers, like really interviewing them and being like, dude, or, you know, wh- where do you hang out? Like what, what, what kind of stuff do you read? Um, send me your best blogs, best books. Uh, what, what kind of information are you interested in? And I learn about what they do, you know, where I, I have like tagging. So I know when people sign up, I can see like where they come from. So I can get an idea, but essentially when I think back to, to talking with them, I always, I, I have like a customer persona. I have like, I know what they're like. Like I know that they're not communication professionals. They're not PR consultants. They're not PR firms. They don't typically have a job at a large corporation. Like all my customers are kind of like your audience. They're, you know, like they're indie hacker type of folks. They got 10 people on their team, five people. They're hacking away. They have amazing businesses and they want to scale them. You know, they're doing at least, you know, like 3K spend on uh, marketing, right? And they're, they have a content marketer on team. And so I just, I know kind of who they might be. And so I literally just research like the best content marketing blogs, right? That's, that's the type of stuff that my customers would be interested in content marketing. And I'll see like who's very popular in the content marketing space. And then I'll figure things out. I might figure out a conference to go speak at and kind of figure out like, is this the right kind of crowd, right? Or meetup or something like that where I don't speak, I just show up. And if I get to the right kind of crowd, I'm like, all right, I think I met like the right kind of like group. And this group is called content marketing gurus. So I'm like, okay, well, maybe I'll go after content marketers specifically and see how that works because a lot of my customers are content marketers already. That's kind of like the process I go through before I do any PR, before I do any outreach, any of that. That's usually the case when I try and find somebody, you know, to do any kind of PR. And then that the next step is doing, figuring out what to pitch and doing all that stuff and outreach and stuff. 
Well, we are reaching the end of our time, which sucks because I have so many things I want to ask you. How do you turn a course into a product? And there's so much more about what kind of content is actually compelling that you should be promoting uh, through PR. So I'll have to have you on again at some point, Dimitri, if you're up for it. Sure. Uh, But I'm curious about what's driving you today. I mean, you've gotten your business to the point where it's generating $30,000 a month. In the last couple of years, you've really... Uh, ramp down on your working hours, working super light hours and taking it easy and spending time with your family. Uh, what gets you up every day to work on Just Reach Out? You know, when I think about it, it's like my last, my entire career since that day when I showed up as my software engineering job and said, I don't want to work anymore, has always been communications. Like I, that's been my thing. Like I've wanted to help people build relationships with whoever they want, whether it's like, you know, <laughs> Bill Gates, Ashton Kutcher, who I've gotten responses from, Winkle Gloss Twins, Tim Ferriss, like the Matt Mullenweg, founder of WordPress, some of the biggest folks in the industry um, I've gotten responses from. So whoever needs to build relationships with high profile people or low profile, anybody else, that's been my mission, my vision, um, just helping people build relationships to further their businesses. I love doing it. It's exciting. And I love just sending those emails out or sending those messages out and getting responses back and teaching people how to do it and seeing success that comes from it. I think that's the main kind of vision. Um, I don't want people to give money to PR firms. That's like another thing that's pushing me. Like every day I know that there's tons of PR firms who, who close crazy deals and get tens of thousands of dollars. I just don't want that to keep happening. Like I want people to take PR in their own hands, think about it differently and pitch journalists and build relationships on their own. And if I can inspire five people today, maybe three people today, maybe even one person to do so, I think it's been a good day, you know, Um, because the less people (laughs) outsource PR, the better, right? It's for everybody, right? And so um, that keeps me going every day, you know, professionally and running this business. It's like, I don't think even if this business gets sold tomorrow, I'll probably still run my course. I'll probably still run my blog. I'll probably still help people do the same, right? I just won't have a software company. I feel like it's like my my life's mission, you know, to try and help people do this on their own. I. I've been able to do it myself, um, and I believe strongly that anybody who is dedicated enough can do it themselves, too. What's your advice for an aspiring indie hacker who's just getting started and who doesn't know yet what they want to work on or what their personal mission is? Dig deep into your passion, like what um, motivates you in the past. Like Look through all the different situations you've been part of professionally, personally, And try and think like what got you to a point where you just felt so good about it. You felt excited about something, right? And try to translate that into a mission statement or a vision statement, Google mission statement, Google vision statement to figure out like what your purpose might be with life. It's an interesting exercise to do, but it's just you need to know what your purpose in life is or your vision or mission, like one of those three. And the others will come come around but it's just you know and if you don't have anything just get experience by working with other people that are that you look up to right you're always a product of the two or three people that are your best friends or people you interact with not your best friends but people that you're interacting with all the time so um 
getting into a company of people who do know what they're doing and are very passionate about what they're doing. And then you can figure out things by working with them or even conversing with them, just working on something. That's great advice. It's easier said than done to surround yourself with the kind of people who will push you and inspire you to do the sorts of things that you want to do. But it's so valuable if you can find a way to put yourself in that situation. Uh, Dimitri, thank you so much for coming on the show. Can you tell listeners where they can go to learn more about what you're up to with Just Reach Out? Check out justreachout.io is uh, my platform and then permanentlyprolific.com is my blog, my personal blog. All right. Thanks so much. Listeners, if you enjoyed this episode, I'd appreciate it if you took a minute to let Dimitri know. You can just go to ndhackers.com slash podcast, find the episode and leave a comment. And I'm sure Dimitri will see it there. Also, every Monday, I send an email with my thoughts about the latest episode of the podcast. I talk about what went into making that episode, my relationship with the guest, and my takeaways and conclusions from some of the things we discussed. So if you are interested in getting that email, you can sign up at ndhackers.com slash podcast. Thanks so much for listening, and I will see you next week.